Right, I think we're there now. Um, I find that uh, lecterns are never big enough. When I was growing up in the Brethren, we had uh, a lectern which was a, a solid plank of wood that was the, the length of your baptistry, which was very helpful because you could walk up and down and you could put all your notes and Bibles and things. It was very, very good. So we've got to make do with this little thing here. Anyway, it, it's, uh, it's, it's bigger than one we, we've got at home. So, Anyway, first of all, let me uh, bring greetings from Grace Community Church in Broadstairs. We've been there for five and a half years. We started with 17 of us who moved from Canterbury, rented a school hall. We're now in the third school hall uh, because we keep moving on because we don't want people to know where we are. And... Um, <laughs> We're, we're somewhere between 60 and 70, and uh, that's not my age. Well, it is my age, but it's our number as well. Um, and uh, we're growing uh, through lots of babies. So uh, we had a, another baby born yesterday, which is always good news. And uh, it's a joy to be here. And uh, hopefully uh, we can build on what you heard last week, which I think was something to do with the grace of God. And what I want to do today is to look at the, the wonderful New Testament truth of the grace of God by looking at an Old Testament story. So if you've got a Bible, that's always a big if, isn't it? If you've got a Bible, if you'd like, like to get it out, and uh, if you go to the very end of Two Kings, Two Kings, it's... Uh, Perhaps a book you've just finished reading, or a book you've kind of never read before, but it is in the Bible, it's there in the middle of the Old Testament, and uh, at the end of Two Kings. I don't know what your television watching habits are, probably some of you also, oh, I never watch the television, but if you do watch the television, some of you will be caught up with detective films. Uh, if you're an afternoon viewer, then you will watch Midsummer Murders and wonder if there is anybody left to kill in that part of <laughs> Middle England. Uh, if you like uh, Scandinavian detectives, then you'll be familiar with uh, Wallander from Sweden and uh, The Bridge from Sweden and Denmark. It's all with English subtitles, so you don't have to learn the languages first. And uh, perhaps more recently, The Killing, which is uh, a 20-weeker, 20 weeks, um, from De Denmark. And uh, does anyone watch these things, apart, apart from me? No, you don't. My goodness. My goodness. Okay. Um, the stuff from Sweden, Norway, and uh, De Denmark is known as Scandinavian Noir, very dark, very black, lots of blood, lots of murders, lots of violence. It's the sort of thing that really appeals to, not, not you lot, obviously. Um, I have to put my hand up and say uh, we didn't see the 20 episodes of The Killing when it was on TV, but one of our daughters was so hooked into it. This is a daughter who's probably next year going to move to Scandinavia to plant a church in Helsinki in Finland. Um, 
she gave us a box set for Christmas. And uh, we've actually persevered and we've watched the whole 20 episodes. We, we watched episode 20 on Friday night. And so we now know how the story ends. But we're not going to tell you, just in case you might be inclined to watch on iPlayer or, or get, get the box set. One of the things with detective stories, especially when they're spread over a number of weeks, is every week's episode ends with a cliffhanger. Perhaps the people that you thought were the suspects end up not being the suspects, or the chief suspect ends up dead and the, and the murders still, still continue, and there's more evidence cu- coming forward all the time. And it's one cliffhanger after another. Do you know the sort of thing I'm t- talking about? Where you think, oh, I've got all this suspect in my mind, and then you think, no, it can't, can't be that. It's somewhere there's got to be the one man who, or the one wo- woman who is the key to it all. And then they go and get killed. And you just wonder where, how it's all going to pan out. Now, in this part of the Bible story, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the unfolding drama of the Old Testament. You can probably remember King David. Uh, he had a son called Solomon. And when Solomon died, the, the 12 tribes, the kingdom of Israel, was broken in two. And so you had the northern part, the 10 tribes of Israel, and the, the tiny little rump uh, called Judah, made up of the two, two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. They were true to David, and their kings were born into the family tree of David. And that's important because one of the promises given to David was that one day there would be one of his descendants who would live forever, who would reign forever, who would, in fact, be Jesus. We know, we know that because we know the end of the story. And down through the the history of the kings of Judah, there were more bad guys than good guys. And amongst the bad guys, there were some very, very bad guys. And it seems as if the whole family tree is going to get snuffed out. Because one after another, these kings die, uh, or they get taken into captivity, or nasty things happen to them as God's way of dealing with them. And... As the book of two kings comes to to an end, we're at one of these cliffhanger moments. And we'll read the text in a moment. But before I do do that, I'm just wondering if um, if I mention some ages, just feel God wants me to do this. I don't know how many 18-year-olds there are here. You don't have to put your hand up. Um, Or people who made a wrong decision at 18, many years ago. And what God wants to say to you, whether you're 18, about to make a wrong decision, or when you were 18, and you made a bad decision, God's grace is sufficient to turn that around. Now, if you're 18 on the edge of making a bad decision, he obviously doesn't want you to make that bad decision. 
He wants you to reconsider your options. But if you can look back many years and say, yeah, that, that's where my life went wrong. Something I did, some, a, a decision I made when I was 18. If you bring it to God, he can, he can deal with that. Whether it was something that caused you deep hurt or something that caused other people a lot of pain, God can resolve that. Now the other age is 55. I think I'm on sure ground here if I say 55. Although many of you are looking at 55 back in the distance, aren't you? But if there is anyone here who's 55, God wants to say to you, your years of imprisonment are over. Because he will set you free. He will set, set you free. Now, I don't know if, uh, if that applies to anybody here, but I just felt before God I, I wanted to mention those two age groups. And uh, if it does apply to you, perhaps after the meeting you'd like to come and talk to me or to one of the leaders here. And uh, at the very least, they, they can pray with you and, and help you. Let's have a look at this cliffhanger story. Um, if we go back to chapter 24, or in your case, go forward to chapter 24. Uh, so we're in 2 Kings chapter 24. And... Uh, I want to introduce you to a man called Jehoiachin, which is a, a, bit, a bit of a, a difficult name to get your tongue round, particularly as his father was Jehoiakim. So, you know, their names are very similar. But this is a young man called Jehoiachin. His grandfather was the godly king Josiah, who brought an amazing reform into the life, into the culture, into the religious life of Judah. And he put things right. He discovered things that had, about God, about worshipping God, that had been lost for generations, for hundreds of years. And he was a godly man. Unfortunately, he did not have a godly son. And unfortunately, he did not have a godly grandson. And it's this grandson that we meet in... Chapter 24, verses 8 and 9. Jehoiachin, it says, was 18 years old when he became king. And he reigned for three months. Jeremiah tells us there were ten days as well. Three months, ten days in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. What the Bible tends to tell us about people is how God views them. It's not their military success or their economic success or their cultural development, but it's what God thinks of them as spiritual beings, as men who are called into a relationship with God themselves and have a high calling of leading the nation into a deeper and more relevant relationship with God as a whole. 
And so this man, this young man, he's 18, becomes king. And in God's opinion, he's evil. And if he's anything like his father and anything like some of the other uh, kings further back down the family tree, sorry, f- yeah, further back down, down the family tree, or is it up? Anyway, whichever direction you go, go in. Um, he was very, very wicked. He had a stubborn heart that refused to acknowledge God. He was wayward. He would do his own thing. And rather than be on his guard against the nation being corrupted, he actively encouraged the nation to turn its back on God and to pursue other gods. Then if you go on into uh, the next chapter, we find that 37 years have passed. And Jehoiachin is now something like 55. What's been been happening? Well, Jerusalem has been destroyed. Not only because of Jehoiachin's sin, the evil example that he set, but after his three months and ten days as king, he was removed and his young uncle was put in charge, a guy called Zedekiah. He reigned for 11 years, and he was no better at all. And in the end, the Babylonians came, led by Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, they destroyed Jerusalem. The temple was burned to the ground, the walls were pulled down, and the whole place just became a wasteland. And... Jehoiachin, before any of this happened, was taken off into exile and put in prison. And he's been in prison now for 37 years. He's been a prisoner of war all that time. And if you go to uh, 2 Kings 25 and verse 27, we read this lovely little story right at the end. We've got a beautiful story of God's grace. In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the year evil Merodach became king of Babylon, he released Jehoiachin from prison on the 27th day of the 12th month. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat of honor higher than those of other kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king gave Jehoiachin a regular allowance as long as he lived. All right, you get it up there. I wondered what you were looking at. I thought thought Neighbours was on or something. Um, Okay, so... I don't know if this little story grabs your heart in the way that it grabs mine. I've discovered it in the past, of course, and it's grabbed my heart, and then I forget all about it. And just recently, God has really captured my heart with this little story. I just want to unpack it. The first thing we find is that there is a precise historical setting. 
when Jehoiachin, this evil king, is shown great grace. And we have the exact date. Commentators can't, can't quite decide what that date is. Some of them say it's the 2nd of April, 560 BC, and others say it's the 22nd of March, 561 BC. It, it, it doesn't really matter. It's a precise date. On this date, and I guess there was a particular time, the prison doors were opened and he was released. He's been there for 37 years. Can you imagine what freedom tastes like when you've been a prisoner for that length of time? And it says here that the new Babylonian emperor, a guy called Evil Merodach, the word evil, just forget about that. It doesn't mean he was evil. It's just a word. Um, it says he graciously freed him. And so we're introduced here to this wonderful idea of grace. What the Hebrew actually says is he lifted up his head. And you can look back, I'm sure, when you became a Christian and there was a sense in, in, in which you may have been doubt downcast, the, you, you were always looking at the ground, you didn't have anything really worth living for, and God lifted up your head. He gave you a purpose to live for. He gave you someone to live for. He lifted up your head and enabled you, instead of focusing on your own problems and the prison wall, as it were, that you, you were in, he gave you this bigger picture because he lifted up your head. The second thing we're told is that he spoke kindly to him. He spoke uh, courteously. He spoke pleasantly. And in a world where we hear so much stuff that contaminates our minds, so much stuff that puts us down, so much stuff that is negative, when God speaks to us, he speaks kindly. He speaks graciously. He speaks pleasantly to us. There's so many promises in Scripture that God wants you to keep looking at, keep reading, keep believing, and keep claiming. Because God is a God who speaks kindly. There's a wonderful verse, isn't there, in, uh, in Romans, which says that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And that's the sort of God we serve, a God who is kind and gracious. And some people spend a lot of time listening to the negative things that the world says about them, or even the negative things that their own heart would condemn them with. But God speaks kindly. And if you're struggling with that, if you've been uh, perhaps beaten down by some of the things that you've believed about yourself, or some of the things that others have said about you, find out what God thinks about you. Tune into God's wavelength and hear from him. The third thing that happened in this passage is that the Babylonian emperor gave Jehoiachin a seat above the seats of the kings. Another way of translating it is he gave him the seat of honor, or he gave him preferential treatment. 
I like that. You and I perhaps would have been content when we were saved to become a slave of Jesus. And in many senses we are, of course. What God does is he welcomes us into his family as sons. And he gives us the seat of honour. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. I know you're seated here in the Beacon Church this morning, but we have this kind of dual citizenship. In the spirit, we are all seated with Christ in heavenly places. Somehow we are there with him, but we're here as well. And sometimes we take too much notice, I think, of being seated here, as it were, on earth, instead of realizing the great privileges, the great authority that we have because we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. This king, who's been a prisoner for 37 years, is now set free. He's now, instead instead of being in a a prison cell, he's now, well, a throne, I guess. He's now got some dignity back. He's now uh, got this seat of honour. Can you see yourself seated with Christ in heavenly places? Or do you still see yourself in a prison cell with the walls squeezing in around you and restricting what what you can do? No, no, I I can't can't do that. I can't can't do that. There was a very very, uh, interesting cartoon in a a, a magazine some, some time ago and it was... Two, two men inside a, wood, uh, a white room. There was nothing in the room except them. And it was white. And one man was very still, and the other man was very, very active. And the man who was active was just dancing around, and, and, and he actually put his elbow through the wall which was made of paper. And the other one was so concerned that they damaged the building that he failed to look through the torn wall and see this bright technicolour world outside which is where he should have been. And the interesting thing is that if you do feel trapped, the walls are made of paper. And you can escape. I I, I just love that cartoon. I've lost my copy of it, but it just sticks in my memory. So do you see yourself seated on the throne or do you see yourself still in that prison cell? Jesus wants to set you free today. The next thing that happens, this is verse 29 now, is that Jehoiachin put off his prison garments or the king supplied Jehoiachin with new clothes to replace his prison garb. And the scriptures are full of instructions to to us to take certain things off and to put certain things on. And 
when Paul writes about these things, he's talking about a change of lifestyle, change of behavior, because now I've got a new identity. Has your life changed since you became a Christian? Can you point to, to areas and say, say, yes, I don't do that anymore because that was wrong, that was unrighteous. But actually, I can see things now in my life that I do do. Th things that God is now pleased with. And the interesting thing is, when Paul writes these uh, instructions to churches in the New Testament, of course, he's writing to Christians. It's not something that we just do once, but throughout our lives we're putting stuff off and we're putting new stuff on. We're taking unrighteous attitudes off. We're taking those uh, hurtful words. We're ta taking them off. The, the thoughts that aren't God-honoring, we're ta taking them off and we're putting new stuff on. We're clothing ourselves in the righteousness of Christ. We're putting, a, uh, we're, we're put, putting on things that uh, speak of the new right way of living. And then the fifth thing that happens in this passage is that every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. Here's a man who'd been used perhaps to a little slot opening in the prison door, in the cell door, plate of very unsatisfactory food shoved through and that, that was it. Meager pickings. And now he's at high table. Now he gets everything that the king has. He's eating the finest of foods. And it's, uh, it, it's interesting here because it says every day of his life. It uses the word regularly. And this speaks to us very much of how we feed ourselves God's truths that are going to build us up and do us good. How every day we need to feed in some way on God's word. We need to feed on the truths that God has for us. Another translation of this is that the, the emperor allowed him to dine. God does more than allow us to dine. God invites us in. God summons us, he encourages us to open our mouths wide and he himself will fill them with the finest of wheat. And then the last thing that we read about here is that for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. Or another way of translating it, is this, every day a portion or a pension to cover his living expenses. I've not been there, but if you go to a certain museum in Berlin, you can find clay tablets that are the receipts for the groceries that Jehoiachin received. Isn't that amazing? There's a museum in Europe that has evidence that this is a true story, not that we needed to be persuaded that. Um, but you can, you can find his grocery receipts. And what we find here is that there is this amazing provision 
from God's hand. Not only have we been feeding in God's presence, devouring scripture, letting scripture change us from the inside out, but there is this amazing provision from God's hand every day. And I wonder what that provision is. I think particularly it's the provision of the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells us in Galatians that since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, there is this expectation on Paul's part, and I hope on ours, that as we live life, as we go through each day, the Holy Spirit will be speaking to us. We're just about to think that thought, and the Spirit says, no, I don't want you to think that. Just about to say something, and the Holy Spirit says, no, that's not going to be helpful. Just about to make a decision, and the Holy Spirit says, no, I think you've got to reconsider, and um, that's not the right decision to make. But I think also, as well as the provision of the Holy Spirit, who is given to to us to build us up and to lead us in godly ways and to represent Christ to us. There are other things that are God's wonderful provision to us. Remember back a verse or two. This king, who's been a prisoner, is now set free and is now seated with other kings. I don't imagine that they keep quiet, but they are talking with one another. There is fellowship there. Once we were all prisoners, now we've all been set free. And so it's the fellowship of God's people that is one of these mighty provisions from God's hand. And you will know in Hebrews that Paul, uh, uh, sorry, the writer of the Hebrew letter says... Don't get into the habit of not meeting together. Don't keep yourself isolated. Don't segregate yourself off. Don't become a loner, but keep meeting with one another. I don't mean necessarily here, but keep meeting with other Christians. Keep making use, taking advantage, enjoying the benefits of this wonderful provision of fellowship with other Christians that God gives us. We're told, aren't we, in one of Paul's letters, that God gives us all things for our enjoyment and welfare. That he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? This morning, where where are you? Are you still in that prison cell? Are you still a prisoner of war? Are you still in exile? Or do do you know that God has set you free? Do you know that it's God's grace that set you free? That God takes the initiative, we simply respond... We're not saved by law. We're not saved by keeping rules. We're not saved through our own efforts and good works. But God's grace 
and set us free. Why evil Merodach should set Jehoiachin free, no, no, no one knows. There is uh, some evidence um, that the emperor himself, when he was crown prince, had offended his father, the emperor Nebuchadnezzar, and been put in prison himself. Maybe these two guys met. Who knows? But somehow, God communicates his grace to this man, who doesn't deserve a thing. Somehow, God created, uh, communicated his grace to you. Can you remember that, that day when you first encountered the grace of God? When God spoke to you and made himself known? When God challenged you to give your life to him? God became, as one of the old hymns, one of the old songs says, my glory and the lifter of my head. And many of us here can look, look back and say, yeah, God lifted my head at that, that time. So we can now, because of the grace of God, walk through the land with our heads held high. We're children of the living God, adopted into his family on his initiative, and we're made joint heirs with Jesus. And we're entirely dependent on the grace of God. I hope... As you just think back over the last few days, perhaps, you, you can see evidence of God's grace in your life. The fact that we're here today, we're still breathing, we're still alive, is God's grace to us. And we could do nothing to earn or deserve our salvation, and we can still do nothing to earn it, but to enjoy the goodness of God every day and we were in prison in bondage to sin but now because of what's happened inside us through Jesus coming into our lives we can now say no to sin once we were helpless we, we sinned we weren't even aware we were sinning but now we can say no to sin because God's grace has appeared to us through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life, set me free from the law of sin and death. That was Paul's testimony. Once I just couldn't help but sin because that, that was what, what I was. I was a sinner. But I'm not a sinner now. I'm a saint. And saints can say no to sin. Saints do not have to yield to temptation. Titus verse 11 says this the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age and Paul writing to the Galatians says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I do not imagine that King Jehoiachin was clamoring to go back into the cell because he knew what that meant. He knew the benefits, the advantages, the freedom that he now enjoyed. And we've been seated with Christ. It's a place of rest that speaks again of us not being able to do anything 
to earn our salvation. We're seated. Salvation is complete. Jesus is seated because he's done everything that was necessary. And also, because we're seated, it's a symbol, too, of us not any longer doing our own thing, but living in harmony with God and doing our utmost to obey him and not give way to our flesh. We've got the garments of Christ's righteousness on us that speak of forgiveness and new life and a new way of living with a new purpose, a new person to live for. In Ephesians, Paul says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. God's given us the ability to think differently. Jehoiachin can now think differently because he's not in a prison cell anymore. He's on the receiving end of such grace and such bounty and so he is now learning to think in a new way. I'm not a prisoner. I'm not in a cell. And for us too, we we have to learn to think, no, I'm not a sinner anymore. I do not have to sin. I'm a saint. I've been set free. I'm a child of God's grace. I want to live to please him. And the way we think determines, of course, the way we live. God, of course, is the God of hope. And it would seem with... King Jehoiachin in prison and the man who succeeded him, his young uncle Zedekiah, finished with the fall of Jerusalem, that there was no possibility that the family tree of David could continue. But we find in this wonderful story that there is always hope and there is always certainty and there is always security because God will work his purposes out. What God had promised Abraham, what he'd promised David, now passes through this man to whom God shows great grace. And the interesting thing is that King Jehoiachin had five sons. And one of those was a a man called Shealtiel. I think I might have heard of him before. And Shealtiel had a son called Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was one of those key leaders who in the book of Ezra leads the Jewish exiles back to Jerusalem to rebuild. And so we, we find that there is always hope because God is sovereign. And whether you're in a prison cell or whether you're 18 about to make a wrong decision 
Or whether you're 55 and thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm in this problem forever. God says, no, this morning there's hope. There's hope because God is working his purposes out. And what we find at the, at the end of two, two kings, when you think of an Old Testament world full of people, winners, losers, this great narrative about kings and kingdoms focuses down on one man, Jehoiachin. It focuses down on one day when he was set free. And this is the heart of God because God is concerned for us as individuals. He's concerned for the details of our lives. And there may be someone here who thinks, yeah, I'm, I'm in a sort of sticky situation where I, I really want God to come and set me free. Let's, uh, let's just close our, our meeting by uh, just cl- closing our eyes, just being very quiet before God. If you are 18 and about to make a, a wrong decision, today you can change your mind. You may not be 18, but about to make a wrong decision, but God can change your mind. You, you can repent. And tell God that you realise the decision you were about to make was not one that he wants you to make. That you agree with him that you were wrong and he is totally right. And his kindness leads you to repentance. Repentance is simply a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. Whatever age you are, you can repent of that wrong decision and say, God, I now commit myself to going your way. I won't do what I plan to do. Or it may be that you fit into the 55 category. You had 37 years in exile the door's open the key's been turned and the the cell door is open and God's word to you today is I don't want you to I don't want your life to be ruled and ruined any longer by wrong thinking or your failure to forgive someone. Whatever it is, the Holy Spirit will just put his finger on something in your life if this applies to, to, to you. And 
God, God says today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of setting free. Today that door is open for you to walk out. Father, we bless you for your grace. We thank you for this story of one man whose life was changed in spite of his evil doings, in spite of his wickedness. Grace prevailed. And we thank you, O oh God, that this one man just represents us. And I thank you, Father, gracious Father, for your heart, concern and compassion for us as individuals. I pray, Father, for a revelation afresh to each one here of your grace and your goodness. And that Holy Spirit wisdom and insight in how to live as men and women set free by your grace. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, do uh, speak to me or to one of the leaders in the church if anything uh, that I've said pr provokes in you a need for, for prayer. But uh, God bless you.